if you have your Bibles, we're going to be going to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews, all right? And uh, I made a good coffee joke on Sunday morning about that. I said the Lord loves coffee because he has a book in the Bible called Hebrews, right? And, uh, but Hebrews, this is a uh, uh, powerful, powerful book uh, within, within Scripture. And I'll give you just a little bit of an introduction to the book of Hebrews just so you know. Uh, what what it's about. Um, it was written, most scholars believe, between 63 and 64 A.D. Some believe maybe, possibly 70 A.D. to 100 A.D. So there's some variance on when it was written. I'm just, just glad that it was written, all right? Um, and then uh, it, was, it was written by, well, we don't know. We don't know who the writer is. Uh, the writer does not introduce themselves, and uh, they do not tell us who they are. S scholars debate on who wrote this this very powerful book. Um, there's a group of scholars who believe it, it's it has the fingerprints of Dr. Luke, the one who wrote uh, uh, the book of Luke on it. Uh, on it, and others argue that it has the eloquence of a, a writings of a, someone who's more of an orator. Someone maybe like Apollos, uh, not Apollo Creed, okay, Apollos in the scripture. Some say maybe even Barnabas, okay, who was with um, Paul. Uh, it could be Luke. It could be Apollos. It could be Barnabas. W one thing is certain, though. Um, whoever penned this epistle had a very intense understanding of theology combined with a very immense Greek vocabulary, whoever it was. They they were they were very educated and they were very very good at at writing. How many are good at writing in here? All right, all right, good. Uh, how many need some work? All right, good. All right, I'm with you guys. All right, um, but but that brings up a possible you know there, there, you know another possibility is the apostle Paul could have been one of the writer of this. It's interesting though because Paul typically when he uh, introduces or writes a letter to a group of people, he introduces himself and puts his name out there, and he says who he is, the apostle of Christ. And, and, but in this book, they do not do that. So it, that, that's where some scholars believe that maybe Paul didn't. But, but we do know this. Paul understood Greek extensively, and he had a very good understanding of the Old Testament and, and, so, and, and the gospel of Christ. Amen. So we, we can look at that, and so the author really doesn't matter because God is really the author of Hebrews, right? And I think it's kind of cool that we don't know who the author is because then it goes, the credit just goes straight to the Lord. I, I, I kind of like that. And so um, from Genesis to Revelation, it, it's the Lord's biography. It is. It's his, it's his biography, if you want to call it autobiography, from Genesis 1-1 all the way to Revelation 22-21. It's all about him, and um, it's uh, the underlying premise, premise that God is and that he himself uh, would, uh, would write about himself in his word so we can know his nature. How many are glad that we can know God's nature? Amen. And the best way that we can understand God's nature is to get into this book. Dig deeper. Don't just read it be, to do your little devotion for the day, but dig deeper and get deep inside of it and understand the character of God. So the audience that this is written to um, is Hebrews or to the Jewish believers who were being pulled 
back into Judaism. They were they were believers in Christ, but but they have all of these influences around them who are pulling them back to, hey, you have to do these works. You have to go to the temple. You have to uh, follow these uh, Levitical laws that you have to know our history. You have to, uh, you know, know our heritage and all those things are, are great and dandy. But can I tell you, everything in the Old Testament is pointed to Jesus Christ and him alone, okay? And so Jesus came, and we know this, Jesus came to do what? To establish what? A new covenant. And that's what he did. He said that. Uh, a new covenant. And the New Testament is why uh, there, are, there are so many warnings throughout this book, especially to the Hebrews, because uh, they wanted to kind of, uh, they wanted to believe in Christ, but they wanted to kind of fall back into their way of doing things, all right? Uh, a little bit more works, you know. They're the only, you know, took the Ten Commandments, turned it into 613 laws. I don't know how you take ten. Well, yeah, I do. Look at our government. You could take one law, and it turns into so many other laws, right? But but they took ten. God had a perfect plan, you know, with, with the Ten Commandments and those laws, and they established 613 laws of the Old Testament. And Jesus came, and he said, I'm going to sum that up. The whole Old Testament, I'm going to sum up the law in two things. Love the Lord God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. Simplify. I love Jesus. Bring it down where I can understand it, all right? I don't know about following a lot of rules and regulations and all those things, but I can love the Lord with all my heart and love people as best as I can, all right? I can follow those two, two things. So um, simply put, uh, you know, the thing with this, and I think that Hebrews is trying to convey to us, hey, keep it simple. Keep it about Jesus Christ, all right? If you and your relationship, you're struggling, uh, you know, and you feel like burdened by, by, you know, just different things, keep it simple. Keep it about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will work in you. You cannot work your way to heaven. Only Jesus, you're only saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's by grace you have been saved, right? Not of works. Praise God. Because a lot of us would be trying to work our way to heaven, working our fingers to the bones. And listen, it does not work. Because my righteousness is as filthy rags, is what the Old Testament tells me. And I, I can't meet, but Christ was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And so, um, so, the, so the audience is, is this, these Jewish uh, converts who had, who had uh, turned to Christ and then they're being pulled back. There's something to even be said by that. They're being pulled back by their old way of life. When Christ transforms you, what happens sometimes in our lives, there, when we ha don't get away from certain people, certain friends that we used to have, when there's been a change in our life, there is a tendency sometimes for us to fall back and to pull back. Come on, somebody, right? Some of you aren't here. There's a good warning right here, I feel like, just at the intro of this. There's a good warning. So uh, the theme of Hebrews is this, that Jesus Christ is superior to the old way of religion. That's it. Simplified. Close your Bible. Let's go home. Some of you said amen. Praise God, right? But he is superior in majesty because he's the son of God. Amen. And he's superior to, all right, th this is going to be a big topic in here, superior to angels. Come on, somebody. He's superior to Moses. Come on, somebody. To Joshua and the entire Levitical system. Jesus Christ, uh, 
And he is superior in ministry because he is the son of man. He died for us and he relates to us. What's what I love about Jesus? What I love about our God is he came to this earth, became a man, lived like us. He can relate to us. We can, we can, he can uh, understand some of the things we go through. Amen. So I think we're really going to be blessed by this. This is a tremendous study and it, it's all about Jesus. Amen. And what else do you need? It's all about Jesus. So if you need a subheading here in, in Hebrews chapter 1, all right, you say, oh, man, we're just now getting started. I had to give that little intro. Uh, is this the supremacy of God's son, the supremacy of God's son? I told you it's all about Jesus. It's all about putting Jesus in the right place. Look at this, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, capital S there, capital S, S-O-N. Um, uh, and that's, that's super interesting, that's super interesting to me. So long ago, many times or, or various times refer to the, for, to the Old Testament. Hebrew authors uh, here is mentioned here, and, and guess who that author is? It's God, okay? We know that because somebody was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this down. And so they're writing very powerful words. So God used different ways to communicate, right? Uh, here's some ways that God used to communicate in the Old Testament. And he still does this today. Sometimes there was visitations, right? Jacob wrestled with the what? An angel or the Lord. Christophany. What, I mean, uh, you, you know, he wrestled in that moment. So there, there are visitations. Sometimes the Lord speaks to people in dreams, Right? All right, sometimes the Lord speaks to people in parables and signs and, and wonders and events and different things. And so Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, okay? Uh, there, there, there's one thing. Paul makes it clear that not only creation are around us, but also our conscience within every man verifies the existence of God. Someone says they don't believe in God. I guarantee you deep down inside there is some doubt that they believe that. So throughout Scripture, angels have, have testified the reality of God, and prophets have spoken clearly and unmistakably of God's uh, uh, power and might. So within all these messages and communications, the message was not complete. It's interesting. All these guys in the Old Testament, the, I mean, it pointed to Jesus, but it was incomplete. So there's, uh, uh, it's interesting because it's incomprehensible. It was, it was difficult to check. Check. I might. I don't know. I'm gonna hold it real tight, real, real sensitively. I don't know what's going on with it. Um, but so it, it's interesting. I, I've lost my place here. God sent His Son, right? That's what happened. Sometimes in the Old Testament, it was hard to grasp. Sometimes what the prophets said, it was hard to understand. Sometimes the angels would come, and people would be in fear and not really know what to do. But God sent His Son. Listen, and that is the final word to humanity. And you know, John. Chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with what? God. All right. The Word is God. And so Jesus there. So uh, he is the final, final Word. And so God would send his Son. And, and there's nothing left to be said. It's all said in Jesus Christ. All right. You're going to hear that a lot. You're going to hear that a lot in this. So why didn't God send his Son in the first place? Have you ever thought about that? Why did he have to send him, you know, at the time that he sent him, verse, why didn't God just send him in Genesis 1, 2, and, or, you know, or from the time that Adam and Eve fell? Why didn't he just send him there? You ever thought about that? Why didn't he just redeem them and then make things right again? 
That's a good question. I think that's a fair question, right? Um, but here's the problem. Can I, can I just say this? All right, all right. And, and if this is you, you can raise your hand if you want, or you can just lower your eyes and I won't look at you. We're humans and we're a little hard headed, right? And we have a way of taking the most simplest things and making them complicated, right? And, and, and the, the very simple truths, and we, uh, uh, we have these ways. We, we have pride, all right? Come on, somebody. And pride plays out in our lives sometimes. And, 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 but here's what happens, you know, with us. Uh, we're not capable of figuring things out by ourselves at all, all right? Man cannot do it. Matter of fact, we cause more problems than, than we help sometimes. We're not capable of figuring out. We, we, can't, uh, we think we can put the truth together, and we think that we can understand it. But listen, it's not anything that we do. It's by Jesus, in Jesus, through Jesus. Plain and simple, all right? All right. And it's, it, it's through him that we have a relationship, right? Through the Father. I am the way is what Jesus said. Right? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Right? I've heard that somewhere recently. I don't know where it was. But, but our, our failures often, here's what happens to us. Our failures in life. How many have failed? I'm not talking about a test, but how many have failed just in some things and situations, right, in your life? You made some bad decisions. And my failures always lead me back to the cross. What I talked about Sunday with David, his failures, he went back, God, I repent. God, I, I need to seek you. God, I need to know you more. And they always lead us back to the cross. It's, it's when, you know what, it's when we're stuck, it's when we're lost, and when we are in need that we understand that we need Jesus, right? A lot of people don't even, who have never been shared the gospel don't even realize that they need the gospel because they don't realize they're stuck. They don't realize they're lost. It's really interesting. So uh, we need a Savior. We need a Savior to die for us, and, and we need Jesus, and he did that. So here we go, going on, all right? And this is interesting because the writer here in Hebrew, we're going to pull out seven things that he talks about Jesus in the next verse. Whew, seven things. Are you ready for this? Here's number one. I'll read the verse first. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, okay? Whom he appointed the heir of all things. Here's number one thing about Jesus. Jesus is the inheritor. All right, if you're a note taker, you write that down. Jesus is the inheritor. The Father uh, uh, in, has willed everything to the Son, and we are his inheritance. We are the inheritance that's the, that God is giving to the Son. Okay, look at it. Ephesians 1.11 says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. It's only through Jesus Christ that I am grafted in. Amen? Plain and simple. And this explains this, you know, in Matthew 13, there's the parable of the man who walked through the field and he found the treasure, right? How many remember that one, all right? And, and he found the treasure, and then what did he do? He bought the field in order that he might take the treasure. So what is this parable about? It's not about us selling everything to buy the treasure of the gospel. That's not what it's about. Let me, let me give you the clear context of what it is. And I'll tell you why, because earlier, uh, in an earlier parable, in that same chapter, Jesus talks about, uh, the field, it, it, he talks about the field, and the field is the world in the, in the other parable, okay? So Jesus bought the field, right? He bought the world with his own blood. That's what he did. You, how many know that if you're saved by Christ, you have been purchased? You've been purchased. That's why we say that. You have been purchased by the blood of Jesus because he, he bought me. We sing that song, right? Victory in Jesus. 
you know, because uh, he saw me and he what? Bought me with his redeeming power. That's, that's what we're talking about. Why did he do it? Because, because he wanted the world? No, because he wanted a relationship with you and he wanted a relationship with me. It's that plain and simple. Here, here's what you need to know. He wanted the treasure. What is the treasure? Everyone point to yourself and say, I am the treasure. I'm the reason Jesus died on the cross. I, you, have you ever thought of yourself as being a treasure? That's, that's exactly what that is. That's a beautiful thing. So Jesus, he, he, he bought the field. He bought the field so he could bring the treasure. And, and, and you know what? Jesus says this. The treasure is worth dying for. You were worth dying for. Amen. Uh, we are his inheritance. I think that's amazing. All right. Here's the next portion. It says this. Through him also he created the world. So here's number two. Jesus is the creator. Okay. Jesus is the inheritor. Jesus is the creator. Genesis 1 says God created the heavens and the earth. Right. Right. We know that. Everyone can quote that verse. Most people can. What about John uh, 1 says without the son nothing, uh, nothing was made that was made. Whoa, wait a second there. So, so who created the earth, the Father or the Son? You, ever, you know, you ever, you ever thought about that? John 1, uh, 1 through 2 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So uh, I'll give you a little bit of an analogy here. So let's think creatively. Everyone say, I, all right, everyone put on your thinking cap. We're going to go back to third grade. Put on your thinking cap. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you say, Pastor, you, you're off your rocker tonight. That's okay. All right, here's, 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 the, think of creation like this. The father, Genesis 1-1, is the architect. You know, an architect drew up the, this building. Somebody had the vision and said, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create this building. The architect developed this building and put it out and said, hey, this is, this is what it is. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right, so here's the second thing you can think out. Uh, the sun. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So the Greek word world means this, ages. It does not uh, just mean phys the physical world or the universe or cosmos as we know it, but it means the carpenter in Genesis 1, 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over what? The face of the waters. Ooh, okay, that's beautiful. I love that bit of scripture. Listen, I know it's not a perfect analogy, but, but the fact is all three persons of the Godhead were involved in this creative process. All right? All three persons of the Godhead were in par uh, part of this. So, uh, um, so Jesus is the creator. I'm going to say Jesus is the creator. Verse 3 says this. He is the radiance of the glory of God. All right? He is the radiance of the glory of God. Uh, number three, Jesus is the radiator. And I'm not talking about what's in your truck or your car, all right? Jesus is the radiator, a reflector, as you may, okay, a reflector, something that shines. Um, uh, how many know that your mirror in your bathroom is a reflection of light? When you look in the mirror, that's the reflection of light, refracting, and that's what you see. And you're like, man, I wish the light would refract a little bit differently so I could see myself in a different light, right? But, but, but a reflector is something that bounces light off itself. The moon is, reflects the sun, right? And, and if you've got a full moon and there's a clear sky at night, man, it is beautiful. The radiance of the moon is like, man, look at the moon. 
But here's the thing. If, the, if the, the moon is not in the right phase, the sun's still shining on it, but we don't see it, right? And so we, we have to understand. So, But that's not the case with Jesus. He not only reflects the glory of the Father, but he radiates the glory of the Father. Let me give you an example. Um, you know, there's no sun or no moon in heaven, no S-U-N, S-U-N sun or no moon in heaven because Jesus Christ is the light. Amen. He's all that we need. You're going to hear me say that 100,000 times, all right? He's all we need, all right? Next part of that says, and the exact imprint of his nature. So Jesus is the representer. The King James Version says express image instead of imprint of his nature. Um, this is likened to how they stamp or imprint coins in biblical times. Has anyone ever seen coins made? You ever watch uh, how it's made or anything like that? I, I like to watch those shows where they, you know, you, you know, see how they do. But, but you know, how they stamp and they imprint the coins. And, and it's likened to how they would do that in, the, in biblical times. The metal would be hammered against a stamp with the head of Caesar on it, right? Be hammered. <laughs> What's interesting about that imprint is the nature, is the, is the express image of Caesar is on that stamp, right? And then through hammering process, there is the uh, express image of Caesar that moves to this piece of metal. So through the stamp and the coin, they're, they're two separate entities. Both have the same image, right? Are you following me? Say, I'm tracking with you, Pastor, all right? So um, in, John, in John chapter 14, Philip said, show us, show us the Father, and it will suffice us. Remember that? And Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, right? Philip's like, hey, show us the Father so we know what we're doing right here. And then in John chap- chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Do you, do you still not understand what I've been saying? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, okay? We are, uh, we are the same. How, how can you say, show us the Father? In other words, I, he's what, this is what he's saying to Philip. I am the express image of or imprint of God's nature. All right? So here's the next one. And he upholds the universe by the, by the word of his power. By the word of his power. Jesus is, here's, here's this one. Jesus is the sustainer. Everyone say sustainer. Uh, and I've, I've talked about this on, on at some Bible studies. I'm not going to go into great depth. Of, have you ever thought about what holds an atom together, right? How can you have a positive charge and a negative charge together? What holds those? Th- because they're supposed to repel, right? That's what the laws of science tell us they're supposed to. Re- but what holds it? They don't even know. They call it the God particle. You know, that's really, they have no other way of saying, we do not what holds, know what holds these things together. So uh, the truth of the matter, it is the word of the Lord that is holding things together right now. Bottom line. Bottom line, that is what's holding our world together. You know, you know what's going to hold your marriage together? Jesus. What's going to hold your life together? Jesus. Uh, what, what's going to keep you from going off and falling apart? Jesus Christ and him alone. How many times are you going to have to hear me say that, right? It's all Jesus, only Jesus. The only thing that will hold you together is Jesus Christ and his word. It's powerful, amen. Jesus is our sustainer. Here's the next one. And making purifications for our sins. So Jesus the purifier. Jesus the purifier. Everyone say purifier. 
I'm not talking about the one you plug in downstairs in your basement to purify the air, get the dander out. No, Jesus, the purifier. Again, the King James versions, when he had by himself purged our sins. Jesus took care of our sins, right? This phrase by himself is interesting because it means two things. Now, it may not mean very much to you, but it would mean a lot to uh, uh, a Hebrew uh, reader at that time, it means uh, that through himself, that is with his own body, Jesus purged my sins. It was he was the perfect sacrifice for my sins. His body, his life was laid down. But it also means this, that he alone purged my sins, nothing else. Why is that important? I, I told you the Hebrew reader whom this book is addressed to would know that on the day of atonement, okay, when they would have their sacrifice in, the high priest alone, he would go and sacrifice uh, the, the perfect lamb for the entire uh, uh, sins of the nation. It's amazing, right? They, they would do this. And the Levitical high priest expended great energy on that day. Can I tell you this? What the high priest did on that day is nothing compared to what Jesus gave on the cross for you and I. The energy and the, and the, and, and the price that he paid that our high priest, Jesus Christ, gave his entire life in order to purify me from my sins. I don't know why I did it. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. Matter of fact, if you look deep inside yourself, you know it, too. I can see it in some of your eyes, right? You don't deserve it. So Jesus is the purifier. Here's the next one. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, okay? Jesus is our ruler, all right? Jesus is our ruler. So what is what does he do at the right hand of the Father or, 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 or majesty on high? Where, what does he do? Romans 8.34 says he prays for you and me. He intercedes for you and me. And, and, and uh, his rule over us is based on his intercession on behalf for us. He is interceding. You know, I don't know about you. I think it's pretty cool that Jesus prays for me. I like that. You may not. Ah, that makes me excited. That he's praying for me. He's, he's interceding for me. Did you, did you guys hear about the little boy in Sunday school class who asked his teacher if God was left-handed? You guys hear about that? A little boy, he said, he said teacher, he said, uh, uh, is God left-handed? And she said, I, I don't know. Why, why would you ask such a question? He said, well, if Jesus is sitting on the Father's right hand, he must be doing everything with his left hand. Right? Right? But Jesus is sitting there. He's on the right hand. There's something about the right-hand side uh, of the Father, the right hand of, uh, even in, in Jewish tradition, the right hand of the Father was given to blessing, the right hand, extending those things. I, I, I don't know. I want to encourage you to do this, to meditate on these seven traits of Christ. And I promise you, when you begin to think about all these different traits, your view on Jesus will begin to change because you'll understand who he is. So the more we know him, right, uh, the greater and the bigger he gets to us, right? The more I know Jesus, the greater and the bigger he gets to me. When I think I've got him backed into a corner, God just opens up something else to me. I, I am now, every day, every time I open my Bible, I'm like, God, you are so much bigger than what I can even imagine, what can I, I can even uh, understand. And the older I get, listen, the older I get, the smaller my heroes are. How many had heroes when you were young? Santa Claus. Right? No? Okay. And that was nobody's hero. Uh, what about what about maybe uh, a, a sports uh, person? How many? How many? 
Uh, all right. How many how many will admit who your sports hero was? Somebody want to Josh, you want to tell me who was yours? Jerry Rice, one of the best receivers in football, okay? Uh, I'll, I'll give you that. that. He was a phenomenal uh, a football player on the football field. Not, not, a bad, not a bad guy. But the older you get, the more, and boy, you see Jerry now, he's looking a little old, isn't he? Not as great as he once was, okay? What, what, what about, you know, some people, your heroes may be Disney characters. I don't know. You know, everyone's different here. We all have different heroes. But the older I get, listen, when I was growing up, I loved Ozzie Smith, okay? Ozzie Smith, shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, one of the best, best uh, shortstops of all time, all right? Could, could do backflips. Maybe I should start doing like Ozzie Smith, come in and do backflips on Sunday morning. You guys might wake up a little bit more. But he used to do that every game. And, and I remember the first game I ever went to, he did that, that backflip there at shortstop, and I was like, that's my favorite character. But the older I get now, the more I realize, you know what, he's just a man. And how I esteemed him so high when I was young, and I thought he was the greatest thing ever, and I realize now that I'm a little bit older, hey, he's just a man like me. He needs Jesus just like, just like I do. And so, uh, but here's, here's the way that the Lord works. The more that we know him, you know, our heroes here on earth, the more that we get to know them, sometimes they get smaller in our eyes. Uh, I, there's been people that I idolized that I met in person, uh, sometimes in ministry, the people that I thought were the greatest. Then I met them in person, and I thought, man, you guys are jerks, and you're not kind, and everything you do up here on the, on the on, man, you are not that person one-on-one. -on -one. Come on, somebody. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And, and, but but I've learned not to make heroes out of people, but this is the way God is. The more I get to know him, the bigger he gets and the greater he gets. He can't be confined by this world. So Jesus the ruler. So verse 4, I promise. We're, we're cooking along here. Um, having become as much superior to angels, all right, as the, name, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So, uh, you know, every once in a while, man, there will be a big surge of, of people who will write a book about an angel or this or, you know, had a visit with an angel. And sometimes, sometimes, I'm not saying it's wrong to talk about it, but sometimes we put angels on a pedestal that they shouldn't be on. And we begin to worship them. According to Deuteronomy 33.2, it would seem as though Moses received the law at Mount Sinai, right? It was, it was given to him uh, by God through angels. And, and Scripture says perhaps thousands of angels were there. That's, that's really interesting. Deuteronomy 32 or 33.2 says this, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned uh, from Seir upon us. Uh, he shone forth uh, from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones, all right, with flaming fire at his right hand. That's, that's interesting. So certainly uh, this is what uh, Jewish people believed, and they believe, and they still believe this because they have such a high esteem for the law. They esteem angels very high as well, okay? So yet here in the, in the book of Hebrews, it makes it clear that Jesus Christ is superior to an angelic being. He is, all right? All right, I'm about to step on some toes. Probably not in here, but I'm about to, th I'm about to throw some fist out of here. All right, and I'm going to give you a first example right here. There's a group of people, the Jehovah's Witness, that teach that Jesus is the brother of the archangel My Michael. That's heresy. That's heresy. It's not right. Um, uh, not because we're, here's the thing. We're, I, I, it's not heresy because I'm splitting hairs with them doctrinally or anything like that. Uh, it's just because Jesus Christ 
was created, wasn't not created by the Father. He was with the Father, okay? And here's what happens. If Jesus was created by the Father, then it greatly cheapens the work of grace on the cross because he sent an angel, not his son, not himself. And so if Jesus is not God of God, if he's not God, okay, then God sent an angel to die on the, on the cross and take the rap for humanity. And listen, that is not how it happened. Jesus is superior to the angels. Here's number two I'll give you, all right? You're, you ready for this? Some of you are like, man, pastor coming out swinging right here. Paul, let me, let me just reiterate this. Paul, Paul would say it like this. Great is the mystery of godliness that God has man, manifested in the flesh that Jesus Christ came down. In 1 Timothy 3.16, he said that God himself bore our sins. And God himself died on the cross for us. Here's, here's a second example I want to give you. You ready? All right, I'm going to throw some shade. The Mormons, okay? Mormons deny Jesus is superior to the angels. Although they don't talk about it very quickly. I grew up in California where there was a lot of, I went to school with a lot of Mormons. And they, they don't like to talk about certain things. But if you press them on the point, they'll, they'll admit that they believe that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer. It's not very far from what even the, uh, uh, you know, the Jehovah's Witness are proclaiming, okay? But according to the Mormons, they believe God called Jesus and Lucifer in a powwow and said, hey, we need to redeem humanity. And Jesus said, hey, let's do it this way. And Lucifer said, hey, let's do it this way. I'm, I'm oversimplifying this very, very, it's just so you can get a grasp of it. But God chose Jesus' plan over Lucifer's plan. Now Lucifer's ticked, and that's why this world is crazy like it is. That's, 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 I mean, I'm giving you the, quickly in a nutshell, that's what they, that's what they believe. And, and listen to, that is not how it happened either. So here's the thing, if you have someone that believes that way, turn, turn them, I, you know, and I, I'm careful to say this, but turn to the cultist, <laughs> okay, turn to the cultist and, and turn them to Hebrews chapter 1 and say Jesus is not in the same category as, as an angel, not an archangel, not Lucifer, not the devil, he is superior. Matter of fact, a lot of people think that we're in this contest of good and evil, that God is versus the devil, good and evil. But it's really not even a contest because, listen to me, uh, because God is so far superior over the devil. Matter of fact, God's going to use the archangel Michael to throw the devil down into the pit, okay? So God doesn't even have to get his hands dirty if he don't want to get his hands dirty. They're not even close to the same level. God could annihilate the devil at any given moment. So um, so we have to understand that. So Satan, however, is no match for God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit. They're, they're far superior. You know why? That's why you can claim the name of Jesus and demons begin to run. That's why you can, that's why you can call on the name of Jesus and you will be saved. And so God made the angels and God made humans. And humans are lower than the angels, okay, but made in the image of God. See, they're, they're, it's really interesting. We're a little bit lower. They're a little bit more creatively made, but we're in the, the lower standard. But we can come to God with grace. And the angels look at us and go, why does God love them and give them grace? It's amazing. They, they wonder why and how we can sing amazing grace. You know, I love God's grace. Look at this, verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? <laughs> I like how he runs. Which one of the angels did, 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 did he ever say that? Okay. Uh, son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will, I will be to him a father. Never said that. And he shall 
be to me my son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let uh, all God's angels worship who? <sighs> you remember when Jesus, uh, you remember when Jesus was born in Bethlehem and they went to the shepherds? What did the shepherds do? They were praising the Lord God. They were praising Jesus because he is superior to the angels. From, from verses 5 to 14, the writer of Hebrews uses seven uh, Old Testament citations to explain why the son is superior to angels. And according to the prophets, uh, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, uh, is not some created being or spiritual power. He is the unique and superior son of God. Why is that important? Because if you don't have Jesus in his rightful place, listen to me, listen to me. If you don't have Jesus in his rightful place, uh, you'll, you'll miss him. You got to put him where he belongs, okay? Uh, and that's why, man, that's why we have to humble ourselves in salvation. That's why we have to come to him and confess our sins. That's why we have to, to do, because we have to say, you are God and I am not. And I need you and I thank you for what you did for me. You are my Lord. And see, it, it's interesting to me that the, the Jews, this, this whole time they were here on the earth and they were walking with Jesus. They missed him. They, they would not open their eyes. Some groups use this verse to say Jesus was begotten, but but he's not eternal. And, and here's what you need to know. Eternal goes on, uh, means two things. We think eternal means pastor's sermon. No, we think eternal means to go this way, right, like in the future. But eternal also means back. He's eternal. He's, he is, he, we, we, we can't even fathom time, really. Um, so uh, so let's, let's, let's move on. Verse 7 says this. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds. And his ministers a flame of fire. So the son is superior to angels because he is the sovereign who is worshipped. While the angels are ministers that are servants of God. The angels are servants of God. And the writer quotes Psalm 104 because the psalm places angels in a long list of things that God created. God created uh, us and God created angels, but God is God and we are not, right? So truly angels are, li are like the wind and they're like the flame of fire. You, you, uh, how many remember the story of Manoah and his wife in the book of Judges? Anybody remember that? Oh, some of you are like, man, I, I, don't, I do, I don't remember that. But after an angel appeared to them, they offered a sacrifice and the angel went up in the flame like fire and the wind and disappeared. So, so that's what this is kind of referring to. Look at this. So talking about angels. Verse 8. But the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So here he is. The writer starts quoting Psalm 40, 45, verses 6 and 7. I'll read that for you. It says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of, right, of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So God calls Jesus God. Now, if God refers to Jesus as God, Jesus is God, end of discussion, plain and simple, all right? Put him in his rightful place, right? The next part of the scripture says this, the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. So um, I like this. Speaking of the Son of God, he says, you're on the throne and you rule righteously. So how is God going to rule? And how is God going to rule people? Have you ever thought about this? How is God going to rule and, and judge people who have never heard the gospel? Have you ever thought about that? 
people that, that were raised and never heard the gospel, how, how is he going to judge them? I, I mean, I've, I've tried to wrap my head around that. Maybe someone, I don't know, from India in 1422 who never got to come to know Christ died. How, how, how is he going to decide what to do with that person? You ready for this? I'm going to give you an answer. I have no clue. Plain and simple. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I do know this. His ways are higher than my ways. Amen. And his ways are not my way. Thank goodness. All I know is this. Around the throne, and I talked about this last week, around the throne of the Lamb of Heaven, they cry out saying, righteous and true are your judgments. That's what they say about him. Revelation 6 and 7. They're quoting that. Righteous and true. So I have to believe and I have to trust and I have to know that God is going to do the true and the righteous thing and I've got to put my trust in him. And so in other words, uh, uh, it's good. It's good for you. Perfect. You you have compromised. Uh, if you haven't compromised integrity, but you show compassion and and love perfectly. All right. So um, I can't fully understand it, but but I can trust him in his judgment. Amen. Verse nine. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. I, I like this little bit of scripture right here. All right. I might camp here for a second. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your, your companions. So just quoting that right out of Psalms, he just pulled that right up here into Hebrews here. Because you've loved righteousness and hated wickedness, said the Father to the Son, I have anointed you with the oil of gladness above all others. Uh, think about Jesus. Uh, um, did you know that gladness is directly proportional to holiness? Oh, some of you are, what? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Do you know that gladness is, is directly proportional to holiness? Happiness and holiness go hand in hand. Think about this. I, I want you to st stop and think about this for a minute. Jesus Christ lived a holy life. All right? I'm not saying he didn't have days where he was down. I know there's there's moments before he went to the cross where he cried. But, but, I, but people wanted to be around him. And let me tell you. Jesus had to have been a happy person because people just don't want to run around people who are grouchy, right? The oil of gladness, the, of joy, began to flow out of him, and people were like, I, I need to see him. I need to know him. I need to, to talk to him. And that is why people flock to Jesus. But you say, wait, pastor, wait a second. Uh, wasn't Jesus the man of sorrow, Isaiah 53, 3? Certainly, but, but there, was, there was gladness and joy about him, unlike any other human in history, if you think about it. So, uh, holiness and happiness are proportional, and people were drawn to Jesus because he was both. So um, most people don't realize that they are uh, this until they're 50 or 60 years old. I don't know. And some never see it at all, but they think holiness is, is, is matter of fact, if I say the word holiness, most people go, oh. Automatically, some of you go, oh, that's what I'm wearing. That's what you think holiness is uh, and God is holy and it ain't what, we ain't worried about what he's wearing because it, it's beyond that all right it, it is righteous it is being upright it is is doing what is right no matter what right and and, and most people think oh man being holy is, is drudgery and I, if I'm righteous I'll be unhappy right if I if I do what what God wants me to I'll be unhappy and I'll have to endure the pain of being a Christian. Oh, Lord, take me now, right? How about this? I, 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 I thought about this. I had a lot of friends after high school who spent their, their 20s and their 30s, those, those, that time frame, 
And all they did was live unrighteously. A lot of them. I, I, and I can call them by name. I'm not going to call them by name because they may listen to this podcast at some, some point or find this on the church website sometimes. Like, oh, no, that's nice. But, but like, I can think of them by name and, 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 and ones that knew what it was to be holy and, and know what it was to walk upright. But it was like, ah, if I do that, I'm going to have to give up this lifestyle. And it's interesting because those same people who were going through this lifestyle, they were living for a life uh, for the weekend or whatever the case. And, 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 you know, and just like, man, I, and they found themselves just, uh, it was crazy, you know, uh, you know, some of them, you know, 30 years old and their life not amounting to nothing but what happens on Friday night. That's pretty sad, right? <laughs> and, and they were empty and they find something. But it's interesting because the older they get, psh, you know, you get to a point, you start being like, man, that is a hard life. And it's not really what it's all shaped out to be, what everyone says it is, right? And, 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 and how those things begin to change. So if you do what makes you holy, you'll be happy. You'll be happy. The, the, uh, the destined end of man is not happiness, is what Oswald Turner says, nor health, but holiness. Okay? My, my end goal is not to be happy. My end goal is not health. My end goal is to be holy so I can stand before the Lord one day. And I can only do that through Jesus Christ. I can't do that on my own. If you, uh, Tim, Timothy Keller said this, if you understand what holiness is, you come to see uh, that happiness is on the far side of holiness, not on the near side of it. You got to, you got to go, you got to go dig a little bit deeper. So we serve a holy God, Amen. And and the more we 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 serve Him, and the more we we begin to live uh, right, we the more we become like Him, and the more we become whole. All right, because our life is worth living, Amen. So all right, let's 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 go on. It, it's really simple. Verse ten says this, and you, Lord laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens of the earth uh, are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like, like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. So he's still quoting here the Old Testament as proof that Jesus is superior to the angels. So you got to understand that's, that's why he's saying all this. So here they, they use Psalm 102 concerning the sun. It is said, in the beginning you laid the foundation of the earth, and even when it's gone, folded up like a garment, you'll remain. God is. God will always remain. Who will remain? Jesus will. Forever and ever and ever. Revelation 22.13 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I am complete. I am all. Look at this, Psalms 102, verse 25 and 27 says this. Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. Who will remain? The Lord will remain. Not the work of his hands, but he will remain. They, they will all wear out like a garment, okay? just I mean, this is almost verbatim. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. Verse 27, but you are the same, and your years have no end. Jesus Christ is eternal. One day this, the heavens and the earth will disappear, but Jesus will remain. All right, verse 13. And to which the angel has ever said, uh, and to, to which of the angels has he ever said, 
sit at the right hand until I make your enemies the footstool of your feet. Again, he's quoting Psalm 110 here. It's only Jesus. God the Father says, hey, you sit here at, at the, the, the right hand here. Sit here at my right hand. Verse 14. Here we go. We're at the end. Everyone said amen. All right. Uh, are they not all ministering spirits sent out uh, to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So um, I will say this. Angels are, are everywhere today, right? You know, I talked about this. We, we, some people, we, we lift them up. But angels really are nothing more than servants. They're servants of, of the Lord, right? Whose servants? The, the Lord's and ours, really. Um, you know, for for we are the what? The heirs of salvation. We we receive salvation. Psalm 91, 11 says, we read of angels' uh, protective work. In Luke 15, we see them rejoicing over saved sinners. Come on, right? Luke 16, we see them carrying people to their eternal state. Come on, somebody. In Acts 5, we see angels. In, in Acts 12, we see them delivering Peter and the apostles out of prison. That one's pretty cool. I like that one right there. But angels do indeed have ministry, but the ministry is to us. We don't worship them. We worship the God who created them. They're not to be exalted. They're not to be worshipped by us. And we see in Colossians 2 the warning concerning the worship of angels. But our praise and worship and our focus is to be on Jesus Christ and him alone. Amen? All right. I know that was a lot to take in. For, but, but how many know that Jesus is superior? He's superior to the prophets. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to everything. And Jesus Christ is all that I need. He is all that I need. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for your word. God, I, I know, Lord.